welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. One of these days I might have to do a new intro, but for now, I'll just let you know I'm Doug. I'm pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. We're based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can learn more about us at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thank you for listening today. Jesus is for losers, and that is good news. The good news, in fact. That's what today's sermon is about. We're going to be looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 49. We're going to read a section of it and, um, and see what it means for our lives today. Jesus is for Losers is the title of this podcast, Volume 3, Episode 5. I hope today's message is provocative. hope it makes you a little uncomfortable at first, and in the end, that can lead you into a life of freedom and healing. Let's pray and then dig into these words from Jesus. Gracious God, open our hearts, our imaginations, our minds to your word, to your spirit, to your healing, and to your power. Amen. Let's set the stage, actually, with Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. It says, One of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who was named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who's called a zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So this day had started on the mountainside. A night of prayer had led Jesus to appoint 12 of his disciples to be apostles, that is, the sent ones, 12 emissaries of Christ, ambassadors sent out and by and with the authority of Christ Jesus, 12 to emulate and recall the 12 tribes of Israel. The list includes at least one who would later betray Jesus. Judas Iscariot. As this group makes its way back down the mountain, a larger crowd of disciples meets them in a meadow or a field outside the t- of town. Luke tells us that these Jesus followers had come from all over, and that that morning he preached to them. He healed them of their diseases and even cast out a few demons. The people all tried to touch him, Luke notes, because power was oozing out of him. People were experiencing wholeness, healing, salvation. Must have been quite a sermon. Well, in fact, it was a pretty good sermon, and we get to hear it. It's the Sermon on the Plain. Plain is in flat place, field, not a mountain, or something you fly in. So let's envision this grand Sunday morning out on a level place with crowds and blankets and picnic baskets. Luke notes that they're all disciples, all followers of Jesus, local yokels and coastal city dwellers, Jews and Samaritans, farmer folk and city folk men and women, young and old. Jesus looks around. He sees all of these disciples of his, sizes them up and begins to preach. 
And these are healing words that provoke and reveal the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Words that promote and provide healing for people burdened by diseases and demons. Reading now from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And here Jesus pauses for effect, takes a sip of water, turns the page of his sermon manuscript. The multitude shuffle their feet. Someone coughs. <laughs> I mean, be honest, what's your first response? Are you concerned? A little confused? How do you read this? What do you think Jesus is trying to say here? Never quite sure about things. For some people, we figure that maybe it's mostly an attention getter, saying the opposite of what people expect to hear, to create an atmosphere of tension or curiosity, wondering just how's Jesus going to talk himself out of this one? Or maybe there's a sort of spiritual sense of this, like the time that Jesus talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, the connotation that spiritual humility or a hunger for God's word, these were virtues to be pursued. Maybe Jesus is offering encouragement and warning, as in, cheer up, you who are poor. Good days are just around the corner. And enjoy it while you can, you who are rich. The other shoe will drop any day now. Because let's be honest, being poor, having to send your kids to bed hungry, Grieving a significant loss, being excluded and insulted by the world because of your faith or accent or gender or skin color, none of these are good or fun or virtuous. Certainly not obvious signs of God's blessing. And likewise, few of us would complain about being rich, well-fed, sharing a good laugh or having a good reputation in the community, and we would rarely consider these signs of God's woe. But I wonder if what Jesus is getting at is simply that many of these things are a result of fairly random circumstances. After all, you can't control the color of your skin or whose family you're born into, which century you live in, what your genetic makeup is, your, your diet, your hygiene, your privilege status, your relational and communication skills. Very little of it has to do with any sort of moral fortitude or work ethic. Therefore, it's hard to imagine any of these as punishment or reward because most of it's just sort of fate, dumb luck, the hand that we're dealt. And I think maybe that's Jesus' point. Stop keeping score, he says. What matters not is not, not your circumstances, but whose you are, that you're children of God, that you're inheritors of the kingdom. 
Some of the most famous and faithful people of God were in the Old Testament. They were the prophets, and, and they rarely had it easy, he, he explains. So if you're going through a rough stretch, remember that you're in good company. And then he gives the example as well that it was false prophets, the ones who opposed God in the Old Testament, who so often led a good life were well off and were respected by all the respectable people. So he says, don't try to measure your life based on what you see or feel or own because it's not about winning and losing. Woe to the winners. Blessed are the losers. Jesus is for losers. So stop trying so hard to win. Live instead as though you've already been given the victory. Live as children of God, heirs of the kingdom because it's all a gift. Everybody dies, and you can't take it with you. So then Jesus says, since we live in this world that's always striving, always competing, always comparing, always trying to win, instead, he gives us these 18 rules for living like a loser. Here are the sermon notes version of the rest of the Sermon on the Plain from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 49. Number one, love your enemies. Number two, do good to those who hate you. Number three, bless those who curse you. Number four, pray for those who mistreat you. The fifth one, if someone slaps you on your left cheek, turn to them your right cheek as well. Number six, if someone takes your coat, give them the shirt off your back. Number seven, give to everyone who asks you. Number eight, if someone takes something from you, don't try to get it back. The ninth one, be like God, who is kind and merciful to the, great, the ungrateful and wicked. Number 10, don't judge. Number 11, do not condemn. 12, forgive. 13, give to others, always measuring out with generous portions. Number 14, Jesus says, I'm your teacher, so be and act like me. Number 15, take the plank out of your own eye before offering to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. Number 16, bear good fruit. Number 17, don't pray to me, then ignore what I say. And the 18th point of Jesus' sermon, he says, now put my words into practice. See, I think we're supposed to take these words and commands seriously. So often we want to try to make it into religious-sounding platitudes. But these are actually real and practical tools for living a spirit-empowered, Jesus-following, Father-glorifying life. And I think the crowd of disciples takes this word to heart and puts them into practice that very morning because that's when the healing starts. That's when old demons lose their power, when families are reconciled, food is shared, confession and forgiveness happens, debts are forgiven, burdens laid down. I suspect that most of those who were sick and demon-possessed were cured that morning long before Jesus ever laid a hand on them. These are healing words that point to healing practices that create a healing community. And it starts with blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. It starts with letting go. It starts with trying, stop, <laughs> stopping to try hard, so hard to win or get your own way or get it right or get approval or get points or get recognition. It doesn't matter. Jesus is for losers. 
Now, no one, including Jesus or me, is suggesting that we stop trying to make a difference in the world. No, what we do, what we say, how we live our lives, the choices we make, it all matters a lot. As, ma- as members of this congregation, each one of us is called to be a sign, an instrument, a foretaste of the kingdom of God. We are to let our lights shine that others may see our good works and glorify God the Father. God created us, God created the church to further the mission of God, making Christ known to the ends of the earth. I'm just saying that while it all matters, it's not about keeping score. And this is a lesson I heard the, learned the hard way, which is usually the only way a lesson is learned, I suppose. I've shared this with you before, how I spent the first 15 years or so of my pastoral ministry thinking that I needed to keep score, attendance numbers, but also public perception, reputation in the community and in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. I kept points all the time. And I got points for being innovative, surprising, or for thinking outside the box. I also got points for being pastoral, attentive, and compassionate. Oh, and as as being seen as an awesome husband and a father with happy, successful children. And then one day God asks me, Doug, would you rather have a successful church or a relationship with me? And truth be told, I had become much more committed to scorekeeping, much more committed to the former than to the latter. And I didn't want it that way. So I repented. And I came to learn that I am not that important. And that I'm not even all that good at what I do. And that that's okay. God reminded me that God had been establishing the kingdom for a long time, long before I came into the scene, and could manage to do it very well without me. Thank you very much. Eventually, though, when I finally resolved that I no longer wanted to keep score, although there is always a tally of some sort running in the back of my head, I embraced my identity as a loser and as an inheritor of the kingdom of God by grace through faith, apart from how good a pastor or how good a parent I am. And once again, Jesus called my name to continue uh, to, to serve as one of his apostles, emissaries, ambassadors, bearing the good news that Jesus is for losers, that points don't matter, and it's all gift. So I want to leave you today with three takeaways, and then I'm going to close with a story. The first takeaway is about healing words. These healing words for you today. Back then and today, disciples of Jesus come in all shapes and sizes. And I believe the Holy Spirit has led you to this sermon, to this podcast, to offer you healing and freedom. Today, Jesus invites you to lay down your burdens, confess your sins, acknowledge your grief, expose your demons, give up your resentments, to stop keeping score, to be a loser for Jesus. Because it's in your weakness that the Spirit calls you fills you, heals you, and sends you out as the church, a sign, an instrument, a foretaste of the shalom of God. Because the shalom, the kingdom of God, is a world where the lowly are lifted up, the mighty are cast down, and we realize that none of it ever mattered anyway. Second word is about healing community. 
I want, to be, I want the members of faith to heed the words of Jesus and to put them into practice and thereby receive and extend the healing power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be part of a community of disciples of all shapes and sizes that meets together to do the work of, first of listening to Jesus, and then the work of letting go of resentments. I want to be a community that faces our demons, that love our enemies, that expresses our grief, that share our stories, our laughter, our doubts, and our tears. Growing closer to and more like Jesus is more than wishful thinking. It is an intentional pursuit, and I want to I be intentional in our pursuit. As a congregation, we have nothing better to do than to listen to the words of Jesus and to put it into practice. Third, healing practices start today. It starts with each one of us. So I want you to uh, bookmark the Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 49, and dwell with that passage this week. And, and Jesus gives you 18 things that you could do in response to his word. And just want to encourage you to pick one. Scan through the list and, and, and uh, pick one that, that catches your attention or that maybe cuts to the heart. Because Jesus wants you to experience healing. And the beginning of healing is submission to God and obedience to his will. I'll leave you with a true story by Daniel Erlander. Uh, he happens to be a, a cousin of mine, what, second cousin once removed, uh, and a mentor and a dear man. He writes this uh, story called Knollwood School of Theology, and it's included in his book entitled Tales of the Pointless People. It was a normal summer day in San Diego, sunshine, a gentle ocean breeze, and fluffy clouds. I stood in silence, staring from an eighth-story window of Sharp Hospital. I gazed on an immense one-story building below me which seemed to have acres of black tar roof. I asked myself, what goes on in that building? I momentarily forgot the question as I turned to hold the hand of my 85-year-old mother. Several weeks ago, she had decided to seek no further treatment for a brain tumor. She did not fear death. For her, death was a homecoming. And now she lay helpless, unable to speak. Her only response was a nod, a smile, a squeeze of my hand. A nurse called me out into the hall where she told my father and me that mother would have to leave the hospital for either 24-hour home care or a convalescent hospital. Several days later, after consulting with my two brothers, we chose Knollwood Convalescent Hospital. The nurse told us that it was so close we could push mother there in her wheelchair. I pushed her across the parking lot into the immense one-story building with acres of tar roof. The hallways seemed like city blocks lined with elderly people in wheelchairs, some sleeping, some staring, some talking. We found my mother's room, her last home on this earth. We were told that in a large city convalescent hospital, the quality of care increases when the family is present. My two brothers and I decided to keep vigil, each of us taking a week at a time. 
During my weeks, I sat with my mother for many quiet hours, holding her hand, singing the hymns of the church, rubbing her back, and stroking her hair. Three times a day, I pushed her to the dining room, where she ate with a group classified as people unable to feed themselves. There, I took my place with workers in our society who have no points, who are at the bottom of the ladder, the working poor, Filipino women paid to feed people who can't feed themselves. Slowly, patiently, we lifted spoon after spoon, I with my mother, they with the other patients. I thought of the words of Jesus, the kingdom of God is in your midst. One day when I was back in my mother's room, I heard two employees out in the hall talking about me. They referred to me as one of the sons. My mother's roommate, never able to remember my name, also called me one of the sons. In the silence, I started to complain to myself, one of the sons. That's all I am around here. They don't care that I have a college degree from Pacific Lutheran University, where I am now a campus pastor. They don't care that I have a Master of Divinity from Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. I even graduated with honors and received a $200 scholarship. They don't care that I'm an ordained, certified, married, and in good standing pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and I have served in three parishes and a retreat center and wrote a booklet, and I am an internationally known speaker. I gave a speech once in Canada. All I am here is one of the sons. Then I took my mother's hand and held it and felt proud and happy. That's all I am here at Knollwood, stripped of everything except what I was the first hour, the first day of my life, her son. I realized all is taken away and I feel rich, full, and blessed. Then I thought of the baptismal waters. She held me there. To return to those waters is also to be stripped of every accomplishment, every honor, every point, to be only one of the sons. When I return to that water, that birth, I am rich and blessed. There God whispers, it is not what you gain, it is whose you are. You don't need points. You don't need points. The last time I walked out of Knollwood was the day of her death, her homecoming. In her last home on earth, I found my home. As I walked out of the door, I turned and looked at the sign, Knollwood Convalescent Hospital. I gave it a new name, Knollwood School of Theology. Thanks for listening, folks. I'm grateful to Chaz for his podcast production every week. Um, Go to our website, www.faithshelton.org, to find more resources for growing closer to and more like Jesus. We would be blessed to pray for you or with you. I also invite you to join a ministry or small group or to share your ideas for how faith can honor God and bless our neighbors. You can sign up for weekly emails, like us on Facebook, make a financial donation to faith, all all that stuff. And I leave you with Jesus' blessing. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen.